Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, this is a true pleasure and an honor to welcome into the show now John Massara as we take a good look at the Australasian and international racing scene in 2023 as the year comes to a close. Some very interesting news during the week. John Massara, of course, has had a well, his fingerprints over New Zealand racing in the last decade or so. Uh, he's the chairman of the Arrowfield Group, founder and owner of Arrowfield Stud. John, thank you so much for taking a call nice and early on a Saturday morning. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay, thank you, and it's a pleasure. It's um, it's a funny old time for racing, isn't it? We've got a bit of injection into the New Zealand scene, which I'm sure you would have seen with Entain coming into the market. You're selling race courses in Australia. There's Hong Kong international races this weekend. It's a, a game that never sleeps, does it? No, and it's never been more uh, fluid than it is at the moment. But I'm I'm very pleased to see that. Uh, uh, there's some green shoots now in New Zealand, and uh, that your new partner uh, of Tab there uh, is so enthusiastic, uh, and uh, it being it, it being a sponsor and a partner, and uh, they seem to have great plans jointly to uh, rejuvenate the industry. So that's you know that's a that's a happy thing for me to see. Morning, John. It's Michael Guerin here. Thank you for taking the time, hey, mate. Um, We'll get to, to to that stuff later because obviously you've had such a, a big, um, t- a lot to do with helping New Zealand racing reshape. But let's talk about Rose Hill. Were you, because you're the best connected man in New South Wales racing, were you surprised by this announcement? And do you think it will actually come to fruition? Do you think it will pass state government? Do you think Rose Hill will be sold? And what do you make of it if it is? Michael, I wish I could answer those questions. Firstly, let me tell you, I was gobsmacked by the announcement. Absolutely so, gobsmacked. So you're telling me that even you didn't know? No, I had not the slightest idea. Now, oh. whether, it's a, whether it's a thought bubble or a reality, no one can say at the moment because there are so many variables, so many variables. First of all, all that's happening at the moment from the releases that I've read is that talks will commence with the state government. There's not, nothing to say that they'll end those talks, they'll commence. And so uh, it's sort of unknown how, where that will lead. Secondly, uh, the uh, ATC uh, members at some stage are going to have to give vote on this thing. It, it is the, one of the major... In fact, it's the major asset of the club because if it's worth anything like you know, has been mooted in the press, uh, even though that that amount of money that they're talking about might only be received on a very long period over a very long period. But if it's worth anything like that, it's the single most important asset of uh, the Australian Turf Club, and it's going to need uh, to have shareholder approval. Oh, no, not shareholder approval, uh, um, members approval. So that's that's another hurdle that's got to be passed. Then they've got to find alternative racing venues uh, to replace and training venues to replace Rose Hill. Look, there's a myriad of uncertainties in all of this, 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm not taking it too seriously un, un, until some of these questions have been answered. You know what I mean? Uh, at this stage, John, if you were the boss of the ATC, and I know this is all mythical stuff, but people cherish your opinion, so I'm going to ask it. If these numbers are right and all the chat's right, if they can get $5 billion and they've got to spend a billion rejigging another place and doing all the things you need to do, if that was all right and you could get the members to approve it, is it good business to you and would you do it? Look, if you took that view, you would also sell the Sydney Cricket Ground Mm. and you could sell other key core sporting assets for property redevelopment. I think that Rose Hill is one of the two major uh, racetracks in what is the fourth or fifth biggest jurisdiction in the world, New South Wales. Uh, I, it's something I wouldn't be considering, but obviously uh, the lure of that amount of money, if that amount of money is the sort of money that will flow, but I can't see how it could uh, except on a very, very long-scale basis, uh, after development, on the sale of properties, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and who knows what investment needs to be made to get to that point. But the answer is, I, I probably it's something I probably would not consider myself. But then I haven't got all the facts at hand. I'm on the outside looking in. Um, and if there was a need for money for, for the ATC. Uh, I'd be more inclined to consider selling a, a, a track which is very well located in the inner west, uh, such as Canterbury, which doesn't get a lot of usage, sort of landlocked, and uh, not a favourite track for anybody. Uh, my, my inclination would be that would be a very useful redevelopment property for you know lo- low cost housing, whatever they seek to do. Um, I'd be keeping. Uh, a property like Rose Hill, which has so much tradition and history and there's so much emotion uh, associated with it, and it's, it's a great track, and, uh, and I'd use the money out of the sale of Canterbury, uh, again, if that were to be approved by members, uh, to do what upgrades and uh, whatever reorganisation needs to be done. That's what I would do at face value, but I haven't got all the information. John, the, the point you make around the SCG is it's a very salient one. And we speak so much, and you know this innately, we speak so much in New Zealand about the fabric of racing and where it is in our society at the moment. Something we probably don't think about too often is where it is in Australian uh, society, racing that is, and its place. And then you see the, the changes that are being made and, and you, the talks of money and trying to you know um, build sustainability. Well, from your point of view, where is racing in Australia at the moment in the fabric? Is it in a place where you need to start thinking about longevity and safeguarding? It's in an untidy position at the moment, an untidy position in, in Australia because you've got uh, squabbles between the states uh, New South Wales and the other states. Uh, there are various views as to uh, the innovation races that have been announced, uh, whether they're sucking up too much of the prize money um, and and whether returns to owners are sufficient through the grassroots. We've got issues here, just like you've got issues in New Zealand, but they're slightly different issues. Uh, racing is in a fluid state um, a lot of uh, tracks for example in melbourne are being considered for sale you know people mm. are talking about Rooney valley being restructured and Sandown potentially being sold 
it's in a very fluid position. Uh, racing itself is under continually under attack from animal welfare people, and we also have people anti gambling uh, lobbies that are thinking that uh, racing is uh, attracting too much gambling. And of course, uh, wagering is, you know, um, is the necessary revenue, is, it provides the necessary revenue to give some level of sustainability to owners uh, through prize money. So, uh, no, we're in a difficult place at the moment and we should charter a very careful road forward. Having said all of that, we mustn't forget that racing is about horses and mm. trainers and jockeys and owners. And the minute we think it's about capital redevelopments and, and, and real estate you know, outcomes, uh, we make those prior important matters secondhand. Se se we, we turn them into second-rate things. Oh, yes, well, you know, uh, it's too valuable to race on this property. Well, the fact is it's always going to be valuable. Uh, it won't go away. And it is ideally located uh, in the western suburbs, which is the you know, second most important centre now uh, of people. And it's got a lot of history associated with it, and it works. Well, John, close to home in Auckland, we could easily sell Ellerslie for a billion dollars and race at Pukekohe. But I can tell you we've raced at Pukekohe for the last two years, and people want to go to Ellerslie. The people who live in yeah. the city oh. want to go to Ellerslie. So uh, it, it's a very similar situation to what we're talking about in Australia. Interesting yeah. question for you, John, because you understand the pattern and what black type and all those things mean more than anybody else. You own one of the biggest breeding operations in Australasia, um, and it's so well done. You've tried to herd the cats, which is Australian states, together and get them to work together, and I think maybe you've had to give up. If, for example, people were saying, let's give... New South Wales and your friend Mr Volandi's a bone here and let's make the Everest a group one. Let's do that. Would that sit comfortably with you as a stud master as a bone to try and bring the two states together or can you not do that because of the conditions of the Everest? Look, I think in the modern pattern, this could be achieved. This could be achieved because the race has, due to the level of prize money, uh, has drawn uh, tremendous fields, uh, arguably uh, the best fields possible. Perhaps this year Imperatrice wasn't there and that, that, that was a sort of a bit of a downer. But fundamentally, the race has rated uh, at Group 1 level now for several runnings. And the reason, uh, it, it can only be two reasons that it wouldn't get Group 1, is they didn't go through the gate when they were establishing it which is what you do, you, 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 you go to the pattern and you talk about what you intend to do and what the dates are and you see there's no clashes and you follow the usual pattern protocols. And then when the race gets to that point uh, of ratings, you then consider it for upgrade, etc. And under those circumstances, it would be a Group 1 today. It can be a Group 1 today. The trouble is... Uh, New South Wales didn't go through the gate, the normal gate. And the second issue was, uh, is that um, it's, it's a closed race to some extent because it's dependent on the 12 slots. Only owners of the 12 slots can nominate a horse. Now, uh, however, the way the thing has, has worked is that 
irrespective of that closed nature of the race, the very best horses generally appear in that race and have cumulatively over the years uh, rated extremely well. So the answer is, I think, uh, that isn't going to be the issue. I think all states would agree that today, re-looking at it, forgetting that, the, you know, it wasn't, uh, they didn't enter, New South Wales didn't enter the project through the gate, the normal gate for pattern, uh, races ultimately seeking uh, uh, rating for, uh, ultimately seeking group rating, um, it would be acceptable today. I think, I'm sure that would be something that would, that would pass. The difficulty is that I don't think New South Wales, under its current board, has a high opinion of black type racing or group standards and the pattern. They doesn't seem to be. Well, I've heard you know I've heard them say over time that you know it's not the be all and end all, and uh, they take the view that uh, applying more money to those races that they uh, establish is the key. Now I'm I'm totally. Uh, in the opposite camp to that, but uh, uh, so there's a there's a, there's a uh, philosophical difference difference that currently exists between the Board of Racing New South Wales and other interstate boards in relation to the sustainability of the pattern uh, and uh, the legitimacy of the pattern, etc. 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 John, I um, um all, all, you know, so that's where we're at. Mate, I, I think it's fascinating, and I feel bad that we can't have you on for an hour. I know we can't monopolise <laughs> your time, but we would yeah. love to because this is like tapping into a supercomputer. I want to ask you about New Zealand racing. You were the man who was behind the Masara report. Um, many parts of it have been implemented, and you've said your enthusiasm for the new gambling partner in Entain. What would you like to see implemented that hasn't been implemented yet? Or second part to that question, what would your advice be for New Zealand racing and the people listening to this now as to how to move this machine forward? Um, I made no recommendations as to who the partner should be uh, for, for the TAB. I just simply said that, it, that they should partner their commercial activities with a major international group. It could have been TAPCOR in Australia. It could have been one of the other international groups. Uh, Entain obviously uh, was chosen and they seem to have an enormous amount of enthusiasm. I didn't know a lot about them until they actually took that position. I have met them on a few occasions uh, since and there's, uh, they're very enthusiastic about New Zealand and willing to invest uh, strongly into it. So I think you've got uh, an enthusiastic partner and hopefully uh, that will work. Um, I think there is one gaping issue that hasn't been dealt with, I think, and that's the rationalisation of tracks. Now, it was always yep. going to be a political issue, but in particular, a resolution to the Avondale situation. Now, you and I, Michael, talked about this five years ago. Well, uh, well, well, John, at, you, in a bar. You, you can't talk to them about it now because no one at Avondale seems to want to talk about it, which is bloody annoying. Yeah, because it's a it is a valuable asset that isn't isn't being used, probably won't be used, and it's surp and 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 it's probably surplus to to the needs. You've got Ellerslie now uh, in great shape, and there are weird and wonderful things that could be done if if uh, 
there was a meeting of the minds on, on Avondale. And uh, I think that's the one obvious major thing that could free up a lot of capital to complete the job in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, John, we've got to let you crack on with your day and we also need to move on and I, I, I think a lot of us would echo your, your sentiment there just one for the bloodstock nerds out there and people that have followed Arrowfield's success and your stallion roster is it's jaw-dropping to be fair is there a, is there a young stallion or a young uh, breeding trend or a trend in 2023 as we come into our sales season here that is really exciting you on that side of things is there, is there a, a vigour you've got for breeding at the moment? Yeah, um, what we've got and what we've seen in the last few years is the emergence of uh, Japanese sires and Japanese racing, of course. Um, and we in Australia have got, we at Arrowfield have got two direct Japanese horses, Admire Mars and Morris. Admire Mars's first yearlings are about to be offered. And uh, my recommendation is that people have a look at them uh, and see what they think because, you know, they've got... Australia has, I think, 72 or 74 Group 1 races. Japan has, I think, 24. It, it, if you can win two or three or four Group 1 races in Japan, you're a bloody good horse. That's what you can say. Uh, and that goes, you know, I don't think that that, that can be disputed now. Uh, and every time one of their top liners goes international and races in anywhere around the world... They're most competitive. So um, we've got a couple of those horses and we're excited about them. One's Morris and the other one's Admire Mars. Morris is on, on his way and Admire Mars has got his first yearlings this year. That, in short, is my little story about something new in Australia. I think Japanese blood and Japanese stallions are going to have a real impact here. Yeah, and we look, we've seen it over here as well, of course, with Satono Aladdin. And um, we've just we've been talking about Satono Aladdin today. And Stephanos, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's been a, a really interesting uh, addition to the, the breeding market in this part of the world. John, this has been fascinating. Mix, right, we could do a whole hour. Maybe we'll have to organise that over summer um, when we've all got a bit more time. Thank you so much for taking the call this morning, though. I hope you have a wonderful day. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit embarrassing when you talk to people like John. I, I recently had a similar interview with Mick Price at Caracca, and, and you realise how little you know because they know so much. Uh, fascinating to hear that John did not know at all about Rose Hill, and his views—he was that, shocked. That, that <laughs> his views basically are that without all the information, he wouldn't be doing it. So, yeah, um, interesting times, and yeah, I, I just wish we had an hour. I'm sorry, punters, we don't have longer, but of course, we have lots of other moving parts to today. Yeah, it's about as long as we do, though. A good 15 minutes with a, a real legend of uh, the racing industry. And, oh, man, you just have to... Well, let's send that around and get every stakeholder and every administrator to listen to it, I reckon. <laughs> 10 minutes to 10. We will wrap it up after this.